Same deal? Okay. We're ready to go. Well, hey, everybody. I'm so glad that you've chosen to join us. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King. And I want to welcome everybody here at our Bellingham campus. I want to welcome those of you who are watching on Ferndale. We're so glad that you're here with us. And a special welcome to those who are joining us online. We're glad you're here. And I hope you're having a great summer. You know, we've been doing a series called Road Trip, and one of the essential elements of a road trip is transportation. I mean, you can't go on a road trip unless you've got some kind of a car. My very first car was a 1978 Honda Civic. I think you can see a picture of it on the screens. It was a great little car. It had some great benefits. You could fill it for 10 bucks, which uh, kind of dates exactly when I owned that car. Another cool thing about the car was it was the same color as duct tape. So body work was fantastic. I mean, all you had to do was cover it with tape and off you went. The air vents in my car were a little bit messed up. And the problem with them was is they only blew very, very hot air. It seemed like it was about 98 degrees, which was good in winter, but not so great in the summertime. The truth is, when my, with my first car, I just about killed it. Because as a young man who was just kind of, you know, minding his own business, as a 16-year-old kid, I had absolutely no mechanical know-how at all. I mean, I knew nothing about cars. So I got my first car, and I just drove it for a couple of months. I thought I was looking amazing inside of this little Honda. I mean, it was the strangest little car, though, because every time I got behind the wheel, I had this insatiable urge to just go, you know, ha ha! and then take off driving. That's the kind of car it was. But after driving for a couple of months, I noticed something. A little red light was illuminated on my dashboard, and it didn't go away. It stayed on. Pretty soon, I mean, I hated that little light. It wouldn't go away. It taunted me. It was mean. It was like he was keeping some kind of a secret. The light illuminated a little picture in front of it, and I didn't understand the picture at all. The picture was, was of a watering can with a drip of water coming out of the front of it. And I had no idea what it meant. So I did what every smart person does when they're bothered by a dashboard light. I actually opened up the dashboard and disconnected the little light bulb that was behind the watering can. I thought, hey, problem solved. This is absolutely perfect. And I just kept on driving. Till one day I pulled into a gas station... It was back in the days when someone actually came out of the building, filled your gas tank for you, cleaned your windshield, and then checked your oil, all right? So the guy comes out, and he does all of these things, and when he checked my oil, I suddenly figured out what the watering can was. The attendant checked it, and you could just see on the very tip of the dipstick this tiny little black mark. There was basically no oil left in my car. He put in three quarts, which is when you've got a small Honda, that is not a good sign whatsoever. And I learned something. Very valuable lesson. Hope you're glad you came to church this weekend so you can learn this. This is the wisdom of the engine. The light means something. That's what I learned, okay? Whenever there's a light on your dashboard, it means something. Now, since that fateful day, I've learned a lot about cars and oil. I've learned this. I've learned that, that when you turn the key and the ignition switch makes contact, it sends an electrical current sizzling through a maze of wires that kind of look like spaghetti. Instantly, dozens of individual circuits in your car just spring to life. An electromagnet propels a gear into contact with the, te or with the teeth of the engine's flywheel. In the same instant, the crankshaft accelerates to over 300 revolutions per second. A timing system 
opens and closes, a specific number of valves that regulate the flow of materials through the cylinders of the engine. The first piston begins to compress a combination of oxygen and vaporized fuel that's trapped in its chamber. At the same time, an electrical coil sends a steady supply of current to the distributor cap, which monitors what is happening in each of the cylinders, and then releases a spark at the exact moment of full compression and ignites all of the fuel that's inside there. And it goes, boom! And we're not done yet. Then the valves open in, uh, in the other cylinders and release exhaust so a new breath of oxygenated fuel can be taken in. And all of this has happened in less than four-tenths of a second. Okay, we're still not done yet. Are you excited? This is an amazing thing, isn't it? The explosions continue one after another, but you don't really hear them because there's this complex muffling system that takes care of the noise. Thousands of metal parts begin to grind against one another, so the oil pump bathes all of the vital components with a fresh supply of oil. That's when I figured it out. Your engine needs oil. You need oil in your car. In the 11 seconds it takes for the oil to reach the parts of your engine that needs it, more damage occurs than in 500 miles of normal driving. You need oil. That's what I know. Or that little light will come on and it will stay on until your engine seizes cold. Just like oil makes your engine run smoothly, there's a component to our lives that does exactly the same thing. That component is called character. Without character or integrity, your spiritual check engine light will be on continuously. So, let's be honest today. Talking about character in our modern world is unbelievably difficult because in our world, character is fluid. It gets assigned all different kinds of definitions. It moves, it changes, it's up for debate. And, and because we live in a world where the end justifies the means, I'll tell you what character has been reduced to. Character has been reduced to doing whatever works for you. And as long as you don't hurt too many people, then you can basically just call it good. I mean, I found an interesting statistic the other day on, on search engines when people are looking for definitions of words, the number one most requested word in Webster's world was the word and definition for integrity. You want to know why everybody's searching for it? It's because nobody has any idea what it is anymore. The Bible actually has an incredibly um, succinct definition and some insight into the world of character. Proverbs 21 verse 2 says this, all a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. Let me give you a modern translation of that one just so you understand. I would translate it this way. You can't trust your own engine lights. You can't trust them because you can make those lights say whatever it is that you want to. Left to our own understanding, I mean, we just inevitably find a way to justify just about anything and everything we do. We define the meaning of our own spiritual engine lights. If we can't find a way to justify it, then this little thing called our conscience begins to drive us crazy, just like a check engine light that won't go away. Let me tell you how this works. Because of character and the way that we don't understand it. This is why men and women who seem perfect each, uh, for each other at the front end of a wedding chapel, uh, what, what, front end of a wedding chapel can actually cause spiritual irreversible damage within their marriage. It's because they lack character. 
This is why business partners who share the same dream find themselves in the middle of the pettiest arguments. It's because they lack character. This is why fathers and sons and mothers and daughters and friends and neighbors struggle with their relationships and end up in unbelievable deep conflict or end up withdrawing completely. It's because what's missing in all of the circumstances I just described is character, the oil of character. Scripture loves to talk about character. It's one of its favorite themes and One of my favorite pastors has kind of summarized everything that the Bible has to say about character and has kind of crafted out a very clear definition that we're going to use this weekend. I want you to know something. This definition is not open for appeal. It's not up for debate like the definition that we've assigned to character because this one comes from Scripture. Andy Stanley answers the question, what is biblical character with this definition? He says this, and I agree. Biblical character is the drive to do what is right, as defined by God, regardless of personal cost. Let me say it again, just so we get it. Biblical character is the drive to do what's right, as defined by God, not by us, regardless of personal cost. This weekend, we're going to check out the dashboard of our own soul. You see, God has given us very specific indicator lights that can show us whether or not our life is running smoothly or running rough. I've studied some of these, and and, and as I was walking through them, I discovered, I stumbled upon an amazing owner's manual for God's people that's going to help all of us, hopefully, keep these indicator lights off and our lives running smoothly. I found them all in Psalm 15. I'm going to read this for you. Let's read it together if we can. It's on your outline. It'll be on the screens as well. The Bible says this, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, and who speaks the truth from his heart. He has no slander on his tongue, does his neighbor no wrong, and casts no slur on his fellow man. Who despises a vile man, but honors those who fear the Lord. Who keeps his oath, even when it hurts. Who lends his money without usury, and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. In these verses, we find the core of character. I mean, God literally lists off the character qualities for someone who doesn't just want to show up occasionally in God's presence, but instead wants to dwell. Someone who actually wants to take up resonance in God's presence. As we go through them, my my prayer is that in some of the areas of your life where things may not be working so well, that your spiritual check engine light will go off. And I want to remind you again about the wisdom of that. The light means something. Let's not be foolish and just ignore them or try and disable them. Instead, let's allow God to truly speak to our hearts about some areas that just may not be working so well. So here they are, the indicator lights of the soul. Let's take a look at the first one. The Bible says that their walk is blameless. The words walk and blameless has to do equally with who we are and where it is that we're going. In fact, the biblical word for blameless literally means this. It means a lifestyle of sincere honesty. 
It means that, that nothing can be said against you. Nothing can be held against you because you have lived a life of purity before God. It basically means your reputation is spotless. So let's check out that, let's check out that little engine light for a second. What's your reputation? When you look at the dashboard of your soul, is your reputation light flashing? Because maybe right now you're just being honest and saying, I don't have a great reputation. Scripture says those who are doing what God has called them to do, that their walk is blameless. Here's the second indicator light. It's that they do what is right. They do what is right. The Bible uses this phrase, who does what is righteous. Now the first little phrase we looked at described who we are and where we go. Now this phrase adds an element of what we do. And what we're supposed to do as the people of God is the right thing regardless of personal cost. It's not easy to do the right thing all the time, is it? Not always. I'll tell you what, sometimes doing the right thing means losing something yourself. Sometimes doing the right thing has an incredibly deep cost. Sometimes doing the right thing means you're going to have to be alone for a while. Sometimes doing the right thing means you're going to influence other people to do the right thing as well. So let me ask a question. What's the righteous thing that you know you're supposed to be doing? God simply wants you to do it. Let's look at the third indicator light. The Bible says that if we're on the right track, that, that we tell the truth. The Bible says they tell the truth, and the little phrase is who speaks the truth from his heart. This phrase now adds an element of how it is that we're supposed to think. We're supposed to speak the truth from our heart even when it's hard. Because of this, truth tellers don't twist or spin the truth for their own advantage. They just stick to the facts. They don't add to the story or diminish their role in the story just to make it work to their advantage. No, their lips are pure and people can trust what they say even when they may not like what it is that they're hearing. And the Bible says this, the Bible says that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So even more than, than what's just happening here, it's about what's happening here that's so unbelievably important. Let, let, me, let me explain it to you this way. If you are a person who doesn't have this check engine, spiritual check engine light flashing, then you should have no problem doing this. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. Here's the next one. Let's keep moving. The Bible also says they don't gossip. The little phrase is this, and has no slander on his tongue. This phrase is about what it is that we say. People who, who, who are moving in the right direction spiritually don't spread juicy details about somebody else's pain. They don't share that with other people. And that's really what gossip is, isn't it? It's like spreading and exploiting someone else's pain so that somehow you feel better about yourself. Chuck Swindoll has published a, a series of what he calls gates that guide us away from this thing called gossip that I think is just so prevalent and so unbelievably subtle, especially in the church. He asks these questions that we should ask of ourselves if we're going to do this right. Question number one, is it confidential? If it's confidential, you shouldn't be sharing it with anybody. Second, gate or question. Is it true? 
This may actually take some investigation. Is it confidential? Is it true? Thirdly, is it necessary? I mean, so many of us, we just caught it, get caught up. We're just saying the words. Words are just coming out of us. The question is, are they necessary words, especially when they deal with somebody else? And here's the toughest one. Is it kind? Does it serve to build anybody up? I mean, another piece of advice is really this. If you have to say something, or maybe I'll put it this way. If you have to say, I really shouldn't say this, then don't. Just don't say it at all. I mean, let's ask another question. When was the last time you spread something positive about somebody else? That's not gossip, is it? Now, actually, the Bible has another word for it. It's called honor. And here's the application. Are you or are you not creating a culture of honor with your words? Here's the next one, the next indicator light. It's that they don't mistreat people. Beautiful little phrase in this scripture says, who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man. Basically, this is a person who treats others in the same way that they desire to be treated. They look for those who are downtrodden and hurting, and then they reach into their lives in an attempt to lift them up, thinking, if I was down, I would want someone to pick me up. I mean, we face this application every single weekend at Christ the King Church. My encouragement for all of us is this. When you come walking in the doors of the church and you look around the commons, as a person of God, as a follower of Jesus, my challenge for you is to do this. Don't be looking for the coffee. Don't be looking for your closest friend. Instead, look around and see whether or not you see someone standing alone. Look for the lonely and the neglected in our commons. Reach out a hand. I mean, God forbid they would come here and then leave, adding Christ the King to just another long list of places where they felt alone among the thousands. We can do something about that. By treating people the way we would want to be treated, we're just doing the righteous thing that God has called us to do. Here's the next one. The Bible says if, if we haven't got this indicator light flashing, we're doing great. It's this point, that they side with those who do right. The phrase in Scripture out of Psalm 15 is this, who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord. Godly people keep the check engine light of favoritism in check. But they also stand with those who are standing on the side of right. You know why? Let me tell you why. Scripture says this, bad company corrupts good morals. So the question is this, who are you standing with? Are you standing with people who stand for God, or are you standing with people who don't stand for God? I mean, that's unbelievable. Now, you'll notice, I didn't ask you who you're associating with. That's an entirely different discussion when it comes to evangelism. But my question is this, who do you stand with and who stands with you? The Bible says we need to be discerning that we're supposed to have an opportunity to stand with those who have good character because their good character might rub off on us. Abraham Lincoln had this amazing quote. He said this, I'm not bound to win, but I am bound to be true. I'm not bound to succeed, but I'm bound to live by the light that I have. 
I must stand with anybody that stands right and stand with him while he is right and part with him when he goes wrong. Who do you stand with and who will stand with you? Here's the next indicator light. It's that they keep their word. Beautiful little phrase says, who keeps his oath even when it hurts. I mean, this has become a lost art in our modern society. But our Bible teaches us that our word is our bond. That we need to keep a promise, even when it stings, even when it causes you to lose, because then you simply just have to trust that, that God's going to balance those scales, even if you do come out on the losing side. I mean, it's just a simple application. Christ the King, stand behind your word. Be a man or a woman of your word. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Here's the next one. It says that people of good character, they're generous without being presumptuous. And it's an interesting little phrase. It says, who lends his money without usury. Now, we need to understand this. The word usury is an ancient term that we would translate interest. Like, just think about how you calculate interest on a loan. The ancient word that we used for, for interest literally means to take a bite out of somebody. Godly, or God says that a godly person is generous. Now, you notice he doesn't say that they're foolish. He says that they are generous, but that they're not to be the kind of person who takes a bite out of somebody when all they really need is a helping hand. You know, I'm just going to say it to you this way. The only motive you should have for lending should be the motivator of love and not financial gain. I think the application is this. If you lend to somebody who's truly in need, I mean, not faking it, they are truly, truly in need, you should never expect anything more back than what it is that you lent. Because you're not trying to exploit someone or take advantage of someone when they're truly in need. How do you know if they're truly in need? Well, that needs to be up to your discernment. Here's the next indicator light, that they don't take advantage of people. They don't take advantage of people. The biblical phrase in Psalm 15 says, they do not accept a bribe against the innocent. In short, this verse means this. It means a person of godly character will not stoop to peddling their influence to the highest bidder. I'm going to say it to you this way. You can't put a price tag on your integrity. Because once you've sold it, you can't buy it back. I mean, all these little phrases, all these little indicator lights, they come out of Psalm 15. And I'm going to sum it all up with this statement. This is the bottom line of biblical character. Actions speak louder than words. What you do is far more important than what you say. What you do is linked together with what your character truly is. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I kind of read down the list of indicator lights, and uh, I feel a little stupid. I, I feel a little like a 16-year-old kid who, who didn't even know that his car needed oil. I feel kind of stupid and ashamed, and I feel kind of like I'm just not good enough to ever get it right. You know, the truth is this. None of us can get it right. 
not on our own. In fact, every single one of us has this in common. We need help. I mean, you need someone who understands how your soul works. So, I mean, can I make a confession? I didn't make up the description of how an engine actually works. In fact, I don't even understand what half of those things are with flywheels and all the rest of it. I copied it straight out of a book. I don't understand any of that. I'd like to understand. I would really, I really actually want to understand, but the truth is this. I don't understand it. I need a little help. God knows that, and that's why He's willing to provide it for those who ask. In fact, let, let me give you this. I'd like to give you the divine promise of roadside assistance. It comes in Romans chapter 8, where the Bible says this. Here comes the help for those of us who know we can't do this on our own. The Bible says, for those God foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? When God began His transforming work in my soul, He had one clear and unhidden agenda. He wanted to make me like Jesus. That's why He calls all of us to pattern our character after the character of Jesus. That's why He placed on me the justification of Jesus, the justification that Jesus purchased on the cross. I mean, God placed my sin on Jesus and He took my punishment so I could be justified by His grace and His grace alone. And that becomes the foundation for anything that would come out of me that could be called good character. My own effort, it's not enough. It's not enough of a solid foundation on which to build godly character. No, only Jesus is strong enough to be that foundation. And it's Jesus who at the end of Psalm 15 that makes this statement to every one of us that have the courage to check our spiritual engine lights. He says this, he who does these things, the whole list, he will not be shaken. God says, if we're willing to do these things, if we're willing to be people with honest lips, if we're willing to be people of impeccable character and good reputation, if we are willing to do these things, to lend a helping hand without expecting anything extra in return, if we're willing to do those things, the Bible says we will never be shaken. You know, there are a couple of examples of good character in the world today. They're rare, but they're there. In the spring of 2006, an administrative assistant at Coca-Cola in Atlanta slipped some classified documents into her purse and stole them. She stole some recipes for some upcoming products, some future promotions, and, and, and she even stole a little sample of a beverage that hadn't even made it to market yet. With a couple of, uh, with some help from some other employees that were working there as well, the secretary sent a letter to Pepsi, Coke's oldest and biggest um, competitor. She offered to sell them the secrets for one and a half million dollars. 
let's be honest, this was an amazing opportunity for Pepsi to do some serious damage to its competitor for a relatively low price. Instead of selling their integrity, instead of faking their character, the people at Pepsi, as soon as they got the letter, contacted Coca-Cola's headquarters and then called the FBI. The Federal Bureau of Investigation conducted a sting operation that ended up with the arrest of all three of the conspirators. A spokesperson for Pepsi by the name of Dave just simply said this, we were just doing what any responsible company would do. Despite the fierce competition in this industry, we believe that it should also be fair. I found another story of a guy by the name of Richard Noble from Kowaskum, Wisconsin. He was a police chief who, because of his uncommon integrity, did something that most of us would think was crazy. He wrote himself a ticket. Noble said he didn't want to take an easy way out because what happened was he got stuck behind a school bus one day and actually passed it without paying any attention to the flashing lights. When he realized what he had done, Noble wrote himself a $235 ticket, docked himself four points on his driving record, and actually paid the fine. Most people wouldn't have had any idea about what he'd actually done because it actually took place in September of 2006, but he actually went to court, showed up, pled guilty, and paid the fines that he owed. The only way anybody knew about it is because a reporter saw the notes and discovered this man's truth in the court records. Noble said, no matter the reason for his transgression or his mistake, that he simply believed he needed to do the right thing and to hold himself accountable even when most people weren't watching. One definition that I have heard about character is that character is who you are when nobody is watching. My prayer is, as we've walked through this this weekend and looked at Psalm 15, that, that we will understand that God has given us indicator lights for our soul. And if they're flashing today, the greatest act of integrity you could have would be to confess it before God, ask for His forgiveness, and then choose to do the right thing. Would you pray with me as we close? God, thank you that you care about character. Thank you that you care about who we are and what we do and what we say and how we think. God, I pray for all of my brothers and sisters this weekend at, at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Ferndale, our brothers and sisters who are watching online. God, I pray that we would be people of noble character. God, when we have a question as to how it is we're supposed to do this, I pray that we would look to Psalm 15 and that we would see that if we are willing to fill and walk alongside of these incredible pieces of character and integrity that you promise that we will never be shaken and that we can literally take up residence with you. So God, thank you for this practical help. Thank you for the roadside assistance you provide for us as we go on this road trip that we call life. We pray that anything good that comes out of us in our character would bring honor and glory to your name. And we pray these things 
in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people agreed together and said, Amen.